0: This morning, before we begin our lesson, this past week, Brother Dickie Keezy came by and asked to have prayers and to ask for forgiveness of anything that he has done so that he might be right with the Lord. Brother Dickie has gone through a number of physical challenges recently. Uh, you may not know that he was going to have a biopsy on his lung a couple of weeks ago, and while he was in the surgery, they, he coded and they had to bring him back and he said thinking about how tenuous life is that he wanted to make sure that he was right with the Lord and we did have prayer and he wanted it announced to the congregation this morning. If you'll keep your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 7, we're going to study again with our Lord as we look at what he has presented to us. Each and every time I read the scriptures, I try to put myself in the place where the Lord is teaching or whether one of the apostles are preaching and teaching. When you look at Matthew chapter 5 through 7, our Lord is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Before our Lord are a multitude of people. And he has sat down and around him are his disciples and our Lord is imparting some very, very important information about how a person ought to live. Our Lord has talked about things that are so basic as how we judge one another, whether or not we worry about the clothes we wear, the food we eat, or the place where we live. It relates to some things that are so basic as our attitude of how we approach this life. As you come to chapter 7, verses 7 and following, our Lord is going to talk to us about goodness. Goodness. And you know, as you begin, our Lord not only taught us about goodness, He demonstrated it in His life. He showed us what it means to be good. When Peter came before Cornelius, he had been called to present to him about Jesus Christ and who he was and what it takes to be a follower of him. And Peter began by saying how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. When you describe Jesus, you have to say He was good, and He treated people good. You know, we can learn about goodness from men, but you only really learn about real goodness from God because God shows man what real goodness is. And so what we will do is we study this section from the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to study with the theme of goodness. And if you will, for just a few moments, I want to focus on verse 6, verses 7 through 11, and then verse 12. And we're going to talk about goodness missing, goodness manifested, and then finally, goodness modeled in our own life. So let's begin now with verse 6. And Jesus said, Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and tear you in pieces. Now, I have had several people ask me the question, why does the Lord, right after talking about judging, and right before He talks about asking, seeking, and knocking, does He put this section in here about hogs and dogs? What is it that is so important? But you have to realize in light of verses 1 through 5 where he talks about not judging lest we be judged, and with what judgment we judge it will be measured back to us, the Lord is teaching us to be gracious but not to be gullible. When you think about this world and you think about other people and the mistakes they make and yes, even the sins that they commit, we need to judge them with a graciousness just like the Lord would. But you and I need to make sure that we also do not become gullible to the point we think everybody has the same respect for God that Christians do. In fact, when Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians 3, and verse 2, he said, and that we may be delivered from Unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. The truth is, we live in a wicked country. We live in a wicked state. We live in a wicked county. We live in a wicked city. And you say, really, is it that bad? Yes, it is. Because not all people have the faith. Not all people respect God, and they do not respect His Word And so, here, in order to teach this, the Lord uses a discussion about two unclean animals. You know, when we talk about dogs today, most of us tend to think of that little cute pet that we may have at our house. Or we may think of that loyal friend that we go hunting with. But in biblical times, dogs wandered about in packs, they were scavengers. They had no respect for good things. And he says you don't cast what is holy. Holy meant something had some sort of blessing upon it that made it not ordinary, not common, but spiritually special. You don't cast what is holy or give what is holy to dogs. And you'd really think they're probably the meat that was to be sacrificed to God nor do you cast your pearls before swine. Neither one of them would have an appreciation for spiritual, valuable, holy things. And you know, even in our world today in which dogs tend to be pets, and I hate to say it, even some people have decided they want pigs to be pets as well. They don't understand valuable things. You may have a nice coat and you have a little dog, and if he wants to lay down, you know where he's going to place himself? Right on top of that expensive piece of clothing. But you know, Peter, when he wrote about this, spoke about those Christians who had turned their back on the Lord. And he describes them in verse 22, But it happened to them according to the, holy, or according to the true proverb, A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to the wallowing in the mire. You see, the picture here this illustration is they do not have a real appreciation for what is holy. But you know, there are some people who reject the goodness of God. God's goodness has been manifested to us not only in the sense that we enjoy this good world which God has provided, but His ultimate goodness is in the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins to make it possible that you and I can go to heaven. And yet not everybody respects that. In fact, let me give you a couple of illustrations. When Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. They came to a city called Antioch in Pisidia. And when they came there, there were a number of people that would listen to them in the Jewish synagogue. They spoke that first Sabbath day, they came back the next Sabbath day, but when they did, the whole city had come together. That included not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And it says when the Jews saw the multitudes, they didn't like that. They were filled with jealousy. In fact, Verse 45, But the Jews saw the multitudes, and they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the thing spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. What you have is there are people here who no longer have any appreciation for what God's message is in this life. And what do you do? Paul and Barnabas said, now we're going to go to the Gentiles. We're going to leave you. You don't respect God's Word. In Luke 9 and verse 5, the Lord sending His apostles out on that limited commission said, and whoever will not receive you When you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. You realize these people do not appreciate goodness. Goodness is missing among them. But now let's move to verses 7 through 11. Now, because this is really the key part of the the important part, if you will, of what we see within the Lord. And he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in the heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Notice that key word, good. Now, I think there are several valuable lessons to draw away from this text. The first one is the grammar that is used. When he says, ask, seek, and knock, all three of those verbs are in the present tense. Which literally means you keep on asking. You keep on seeking. You keep on knocking. It's not as if a person says, okay, well I tried, but I didn't succeed, so I quit. Reality is, is that God expects us to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. Let me illustrate that to you from two parables that the Lord used. One's found in Luke chapter 11, the other in Luke chapter 18. He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will arise and give him as much or as many as he needs. Now you can visualize that. Somebody goes to your house and they knock on your door and they say, We need you to... No, I'm already in bed. I don't want, to, don't want to get up. No. He said, but because of persistence, he's not going to give up. Sometimes in this life, we have to realize that there are things that we may feel like we want, but we have to, to demonstrate a persistent desire to have them. You get to Luke chapter 18, and he again tells another parable about a judge in a city who when this widow lady comes to him, he doesn't respect her, he doesn't respect the people of the city, but that widow just keeps coming. She just keeps coming. That's what God is telling us to do. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. A second thing that I think we can observe from this is goodness of God is like the goodness of parents. And what the Lord does here, He says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? The truth is, is that those of us who are parents, we love our children. We give them good things. We give them things because we do love them. And what he's trying to say is God loves us and we'll give as we pursue. I think it's valuable also to think about the very verbs that the Lord chose. For instance, he says, ask, seek, and knock. And you know, if you think about that just a little bit, think about direction. You go to someone and you ask them, what is the direction to Brother Larry's house? And someone will say, you'll go down Yeager Road and you're going to turn on Pinewood Lane and you're going to look for those brick columns on the left-hand side of the road and you'll look for the gates. Someone gives you direction. You ask. After you've got that in your mind, what do you do? You seek. You try to look for it. You actually do the going. Once you get there, the gates are going to be closed, and so you're going to have to knock. You're going to have to ask to enter. There's an increasing level of pursuit. You ask, you seek, then you knock because you have arrived. That's what God wants us to do. But I think what's interesting here is all of us look at this and realize he's talking about our approaching God. And when you approach God, the first thing you recognize is God is approachable. There are some people to whom we cannot go because they will not receive us. Our God is approachable. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You come to God's throne and God willingly accepts you there. In fact, He's bidding you to come. But not only is God approachable, He is accessible. You know, I've had people to tell me, oh, I'll be glad to help you. You just call on me. And then you call and they're not there. They're not accessible. But God is always accessible to man if He comes as man should. Listen to Psalm 32 verse 6. For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near Him. The flood will not come because God is accessible. Listen to Psalm one forty five eighteen: The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. But I like the passage in Deuteronomy 4, 7. For what great nation is there? that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us. For whatever reason, we may call upon Him. You think about the fact that it does not matter if it's in the middle of the night. It does not matter if it is a time when things are going well or a time when things are going badly. God is accessible to us. And He listens. But not only can you approach our God, not only is He accessible to us at any time, but He listens and He answers us. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I go back and I think about verse 11. How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things, to those who ask of Him? But the passage that comes to my mind whenever I think about this is found in James chapter 5. He's talking about what kind of situation that you and I might find ourselves in. Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone sick? Let him call from the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. God listens. God answers Elijah, and we have the same nature that Elijah did. But now, if you will, let's look at verse 12. Verse 12 is a very, very important verse. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I suggest to you that what you have in the previous verses are really leading up to this, because the Lord says, therefore. This indicates, this is what point I'm trying to drive home to you. There are people in whose lives goodness is missing. There is the goodness of God that has been expressed toward you. Now how are you going to model that in your life? How are you going to put it into practice? I'd suggest to you there are four rules by which men live. You've heard these before. You'll probably hear them several times again in the future. You may repeat them to others as well. It's what's often referred to as the iron rule. And it is might makes right. You remember in the Old Testament, Ahab, the king of Israel, wanted a vineyard that belonged to Naboth. He tried to buy it from him. He tried to trade him out of it. And Naboth said, no. This is my inheritance. This is my land. I'm not giving it up. Ahab went into his chamber. Started pouting because he didn't get what he wanted. Jezebel walks in and says, Are you not the king? I will get it for you. Naboth was killed. And Ahab and Jezebel took possession of that vineyard. Do you realize... How many people live their lives by, if I can do it, and I can do it to you, I will do that. That's one of the tenets of the theory of evolution. The survival of the fittest. Whatever's the strongest will survive. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 11, Habakkuk is trying to... um, Go through his mind. Why, God, are you allowing this world to be so wicked, particularly your people, Israel? Why don't you do something to punish them? And God said, I am. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. And then when he gets to describing them, the American Standard reads it very accurately when it says, Then shall he sweep by as a wind and shall pass over and be guilty, even he whose might is his God. His might is his God. He looks at himself and says, My power is able to prevail. A lot of people live by that rule. There's another rule that's often referred to as the brass rule. And that is, get even. I will do to them what they have done to me. And many other people live by this rule. In fact, the Bible you see it frequently expressed. For instance, Proverbs twenty four twenty nine: Do not say, "I will do to him just as he has done to me." I will render to man according to his work. Or Proverbs twenty twenty two: Do not say, "I will recompense evil." Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. It's the rule of revenge. You do something to me, and I'll show you. I'll do something back to you. In Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You don't live by the brass rule and please God. Now the third rule is often referred to as the silver rule. It sounds a lot like the golden rule, but it's only stated in the negative. Do nothing unto others that you would not have them to do unto you. And you can see it illustrated in the life of the rich ruler. You remember in Matthew 19, he came to the Lord and he asked the Lord, What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And here's the way the Lord responded to him. He said, keep the commandments. And he said, which one? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Notice all of those, you don't do bad things to someone else. His response in verse 20, all these things I have kept from my youth up. What do I still lack? Those things were not doing good. They were avoiding doing evil. Is it important to avoid doing evil? Absolutely. But that's not doing good. The golden rule is different from all the others. It is positive. It's not negative. It requires good in action. I was reading a commentary this past week. William Barclay and his commentary had what I thought was an excellent illustration. And he said, it's just like this. There are laws that are written about driving. And they all relate to trying to not injure or hurt somebody else. You stop at a light so you don't crash into someone else's car. But the law is not written in a positive sense that says that if your neighbor, your friend is broken down on the side of the road, you stop and help him. That's doing good. The golden rule is goodness modeled in our lives. We show other people goodness by the way we treat them. We do them good like we want them to do good to us. Let me illustrate it to you. Jesus is that perfect illustration. In Philippians chapter 2, I should have picked up verse 4, where he says, "...not looking each of you to his own things, but to the things of others." Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming to the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of his man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, yes, even the death on the cross. Jesus not only did not do evil to men, he did good. He didn't think about just himself. He thought about my needs. He thought about your needs. That's the golden rule. That's goodness in action. And God expects that of those who follow Him. Luke six thirty two. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive back as much. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend for nothing and hoping nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. What is the point the Lord is making as we study Matthew chapter 7 verses 6 and following? And that is goodness. Good people put into practice goodness. Let me just give you two or three passages and then we'll bring the lesson to a close. These are passages which say this is what God wants us to be as His people. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. 3 John 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good, for he who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Galatians 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all and especially those who are the household of faith. You know what I appreciate about our Lord? He's not calling us to be like the world. He's calling us to live a higher, nobler, better life that not only pleases Him but helps our neighbors and our friends. And this morning, you can be among that number of folks who are pleasing God by your life. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, you can be added to the Lord's body. And if you are one of God's children and and goodness has not characterized who you are. You've been living a life but it's not been a good one. Then it's time for you to be restored. Would you come while we stand inside?